Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. new series today called Shovel and Spear. Shovel and Spear. And I'm so excited to uh, dive in. We're going to be looking at the books of Ezra, the books of Nehemiah, and it's going to talk about a time when the Jews had to rebuild what was lost. They had to build again things that had been torn down. They had to build again things that were not the way that they should be. And in life, sometimes we've got to rebuild some things that aren't going so well. Can I get in a good amen on that? Sometimes we got to pause and rebuild our marriage because it's not going the way it should be going. Sometimes we got to pause and rebuild our relationships with our children. It's not going the way it should be going. Sometimes we have to pause and rebuild our prayer life. It's not been praying like we should. We got to rebuild our Bible reading because it's not been reading like we should. And, and this happens in life. And this happens to us as Jesus followers where things may not be where they quite need to be, but we rebuild. We, we don't just... We just don't uh, walk away from it, but we come back and we rebuild and we work really hard to get things to where they need to be. So that's what we're really going to be leaning in on in this series. So do me a favor. Let's go to the book of Ezra, chapter 1, and uh, those scriptures are going to come up on the screen. If you got a Bible, open up to it, and we can read together. Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to be reading through the English Standard Version. It reads as follows. In the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his land and also put it in writing. I want you to say that back to me. Say, he put it in writing. He put it in writing. Next verse. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that God gave me, the power of the pen. The power of the pen. Uh, Josh, do me a favor. Give me just a little more monitor here, and let's all pray together, and let's just prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that has happened in this place. We thank you, God, for your spirit, your presence, your power that is here. God, as we get ready to lean into your word, I pray that you would speak to us, Father. Pray that every heart would be open and receptive and willing to receive what you have for us. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated. The power of the pen. How many of you people here in the tent enjoy a good negotiation? How you like, like, like a good negotiation? I know some of you, you get anxiety just thinking about it, right? You're just like, 
I don't really want to negotiate anything. I don't want to have a conversation like that. But, you know, I, 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 before I started working for the church, I worked in government defense contracting, and I was a subcontracts manager. And what that meant was we would have to go and negotiate with our subcontractors, with our suppliers. And it was something that, if I'm being honest with you, I enjoyed doing. I've always been good at maybe arguing or what I would call it negotiations. You can ask my wife. She'll say, I'm really good at arguing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, growing up as a kid, sometimes people would tell me, man, you, you ought to be a lawyer. And, and though I didn't really want to go in that field, I really enjoyed a good negotiation. And so we would go with teams into negotiations, and we'd go to negotiate a price with our suppliers. And, you know, I'd come in the room, the, and I was subcontracts manager. Program managers would come in. Product team leaders would come in the room. Engineers would come in the room. And, you know, you'd have all these people that were part of the negotiations. And as the negotiations were happening, the back and forth, every time we were getting ready to make an offer, every time we were getting ready to, to, to really make it matter, we'd put it in writing. We'd put it in writing. It wasn't enough just to tell someone something. There was a weight to putting it in writing. Now, I'm going to tell you this funny story about how I really used that when I was trying to get my wife a car. So my wife and I, we, we got married when she was still in college. We were both still in college. As a matter of fact, the first 10 years of our marriage, like one or both of us was in college for the first 10 years of our marriage. It just felt like school was just a part of us. And so when uh, she got, when, when she graduated from San Diego State with her bachelor's degree, I was going to buy her a car. I was like, that was going to be my graduation gift for her. Now, at that point in time, we didn't have the resources to buy a brand new car and roll it off the lot. You know, we were trying to be smart. But what I would do is I would find a good quality used car. I sound like such a dad when I say that, don't I? All the dads are like, amen, you don't need a brand new car. Get a good quality used car. So I was trying to get a good quality used car. And, and I knew exactly what she wanted. And I found this car and it was the one. It was the one. And, and we saw it. It was at one of those, like, big tent sales. You know, we saw the car. And uh, I remember telling the guy, I'm like, well, this is the car that we want. He's like, great. Well, let's talk about the financing. How much are you looking to pay per month? And I gave him the number. And his response to me was, you ain't going to get this type of car with that type of payment. That broke my heart. As a matter of fact, it did more than that. I was like, the devil is a liar. Yes, I will. I will negotiate the heck out of this thing until we get to a settled agreement. And so I couldn't reach an agreement then and there, but I found out where this car was coming from. And I tracked it back to the actual lot. And I went to the lot and began negotiating once again, thinking, this is the car that I want. This is the car that I got to have. This is the one that I'm going to get for my wife. A week goes by. I can't reach an agreement. I come back the next week. And, and, and it's getting tense, right? It's like I'm trying to negotiate. And finally, it's like a Friday evening. And I remember I had just gone right after work. And I'm talking to the manager. As I talk to the manager, I'm going back and forth. And he's trying to tell me, Mr. Herrera, you better buy this car right now because it's selling this weekend. I guarantee you this car will not be here come Monday morning. And I don't know if it was just boldness. I, I don't know if it was just the argumentative side of me. But I realized then and there I had to make my move. And how many know that in a good negotiation, you're not just negotiating the product, but you're negotiating the person? You should write that down. No, I'm kidding. But I'm not. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, I made my final move. I said, if this is going to work, this is what's going to do. So I, I, I wrote down my name. I wrote down my office phone number, and I put it on a piece of paper, and I put, slammed it on the table, and Joanna's like, Josh. And I'm like, no, this is all, this is all posture. This is all the fun, you know. And I, I put it down, and I told the manager, I said, this car's not going to sell, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to call me on Monday morning, and we agree to this price at this payment, and I'm waiting to hear for you come Monday morning. He's like, it's not going to happen, Mr. Herrera. Well, guess who got the phone call come Monday morning? 
sheepishly, the car said, not the manager, he didn't want to make the phone call. He didn't want to take the L. So he makes his car salesman call me. He's like, Mr. Herrera, come pick up your vehicle. You can take it for your price and that's your payment. I enjoy a good negotiation. Yeah, I do. But it was like, I had to put it in writing and I stuck it in front of us. This is my price and this is my number. And you call me on Monday. And I, I say all that because here in the text, we see something very, very similar happen with King Cyrus of Persia. Because we read in the text that he didn't just issue a proclamation. But then it goes on to say that he wrote it down. Now think about that for a second. He's the king of Persia. At this time, Persia was the greatest nation, the greatest people on the planet. The context of the story is this. The, the, the Jews, God's people, they had turned their back on God. They had gone into a lifestyle of idolatry and prophet after prophet after prophet was telling Israel, repent. You can't live like this. You got to repent. And there was a nation called Babylon that was, was just coming up and, and they were conquering territories. They were conquering and, and taking over kingdoms. And God allowed Babylon to take Israel. And when God allowed Babylon to take Israel, he did so to judge Israel because Israel had turned their back on God. So God said, you want to do it without me? Then fight Babylon without me. God took a step back because they wanted to do it their own way. How many know that with God, if you insist on doing it your own way, he'll let you do it your own way? I, I, I don't know about you. You can either do it God's way or you can do it your way. But he is a perfect gentleman. And when you wrestle with God and you tell him no, 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 eventually he'll just take a step back and he'll let you do it. Your way. And so God took a step back and Babylon conquered all of the Israel nation. And, and so what happened was God allowed this to happen, but he loved his people so much he was going to lead them back to their land. Because not only were they captured, but they were pulled out of Jerusalem. They were pulled away from their land and brought into Babylon as slaves, as, as a workforce. And later we would call them exiles. They, they were cast away from their land. Now, now God in his goodness rose up. Another people called the Persians, and the Persians captured Babylon because just like God allowed Babylon to capture Jerusalem, he then allowed Persia to capture Babylon because now he was going to judge Babylon. It's kind of a weird analogy when you look at it, but in one, in one moment, God said, I'll step back, and I'm going to let Israel do their thing, but I'm going to judge Babylon because you mess with my kids, and if you mess with my kids, I'm going to judge you too. So he allows Persia to come in and take over Babylon, and King Cyrus, he is the king over this nation that is now the greatest nation on the planet. And listen, this is what's happening. God's speaking to him. God starts to speak to King Cyrus, and he begins to tell Cyrus, I want you to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's how good God is. God will use anyone. God will use anything. Sometimes God will speak to you. God will speak through someone that you don't think God should be speaking through. But he'll do that because he's God. He's God all by himself. And his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so don't ever limit what you think God can do. And don't ever limit who you think God can use. Because God used the king of Persia to allow the Jews who were in captivity to start to make their way back to Jerusalem. Now, God did this, and, and, and his way of doing this was through King Cyrus. But again, he, he didn't just issue the decree. King Cyrus spoke it, but then he also wrote it down. And that's the first thing that I want you to note right here. If you're taking notes, write this down. God writes what is important. God writes what is important. I, I don't have the time to go through all the Bible, but let me just give you some examples. All throughout the text, anything that was important to God got written down. Anything that was important to God 
got written down. If you look at Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, what the Jews would call the Pentateuch, what we call the first five books of the Bible, sometimes they call it the books of Moses. They call it that because they were, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And it gives us the account of not just the history of Israel, but more importantly, it gives us the history of humanity. It talks about creation. Some of you are like, if God created the world and nobody was there to observe it, how do we have a written creation account? Because God revealed creation to Moses. We read in the text that he leads Moses up to a mountain and he has a one-on-one -on -one encounter with him. And then there is this cave in the mountain that he says, Moses, go in there and wait. And when you go in there and wait, I'm going to allow my glory to pass through you. And when I allow my glory to pass through you, Moses, you're going to see all of my past. And then you're going to write it down. Why? Because God writes down what is important to him. Had he not instructed Moses to write it down, we'd have no written account of the history of humanity or the history of his people. Let me take it a step further. That same guy, Moses, God leads Moses up to the mountain of Sinai, and he's getting ready to establish some, some rails, some, some rules to this relationship between God and his people. And when he takes Moses up to the mountaintop, he begins to give him all these different commands that he wanted his people to follow. And the very hand of God, the finger of God, wrote down the Ten Commandments on tablets, and he gave them to Moses. Who wrote the first Ten Commandments? God did. It was the finger of God on stone. He gave it to Moses, and then Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. Why? Because if it's important to God, he writes it down. And, and this is all throughout the text. We just read just a moment ago that not only did Cyrus issue the decree, but he wrote it down. Why? Because it was important to God. Let me go to the New Testament. The book of Acts is written by a physician whose name is Luke. Luke was commissioned by a rich benefactor by the name of, of Theophilus. That may have been his code name or his real name because Theophilus means lover of God. But Luke, many of us read the gospel of Luke and in error we would think, oh, he was one of the 12 apostles. No, he wasn't. Luke was hired by this very affluent person that went by the code name Theophilus, lover of God, to both investigate Jesus and investigate the early church. And so the gospel of Luke is an investigative account written. Everybody say written. Written by Luke, the book of Acts was written by Luke, a physician. That's why the book of Acts is so detailed, because as a physician, he was detailed. How many want your doctors to be detailed? Yeah, you'd want them to get the right foot, you know? If you're going to go into surgery on your right foot, you want to make sure they get the right foot. Not just any foot, but the right foot, you know what I'm saying? So, so that's why the book of Acts is written with such great detail, because Luke was a physician. And, and he writes the book of Acts, and we have the whole history of the early church. Why? Because it mattered to God, because he wrote it down, therefore it was important. All throughout the Bible, and again, Lighthouse, I could take you through example after example after example when something was written down. As a matter of fact, in your own devotion, anytime something is written down, highlight that, circle that, note it, because it's important to God. Anytime something was written down, it is because it was important to God. Now, let me apply that to you all. Lighthouse Church, this is why I am so big on journaling. This is why oftentimes I'll talk to you and tell you to write this down. Because you write down what is important to you. When you come to church, and especially when you go to pray. How many remember when we do prayer meetings with Lighthouse Church back at the Cal State San Marcos? We got to get those prayer meetings started again. Everyone would come, and I would tell you, bring a journal. And then I would send you to go and pray. And then I would tell you, write down what God is speaking to you. Because you need to take on the same habits of God. That if it's important to him to write it down, it ought to be important enough to you for you to write it down. 
it ought to be important enough for you to write it down. I wrote this in my list. Don't come empty-handed into a conversation with God unless you want to leave empty-handed. If you come empty-handed into a conversation with God, you're going to leave empty-handed. But if you come ready to receive and ready to write down what he's speaking to you, he will speak to you. He's going to talk to you. And when he talks to you, get ready to write it down. Because if it's important to God, it ought to be important to us. Yeah, go ahead and write that down. If it's important to God, it ought to be important to you. And so what I love about this is we see God and he is a writing God, and he communicates what is important. And on the flip side, when we approach his presence, we ought to be writing the same things down as well. We're going to write down what he is speaking because it is important. Now, let me take you down to my next point. God invites us into the process of writing. Write that down. God invites us into the process of writing. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says this, And the Lord answered me, the prophet writing, Write the vision. Somebody say, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. When I think about this verse, it's clear to me that vision has a pace. Vision has a pace. God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to give you some important instructions, and I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down so that when people hear it, they run. Tell your neighbor, vision has a pace. What I, what, what, what I, what the, we hear in the scriptures, there's another verse that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people cast off all restraint. When there is no vision, we have no direction. And, and I love how in the scriptures, God tells us, write the vision, make it plain so that you can run. Here's the deal. In, 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 the, in the natural, psychology teaches us that you are much more, you, you, the, the chances of you fulfilling your visions and goals, is, it really increases if you write it down. It's, it's one thing to have a goal in your head. That's called a dream. But when you put a goal on paper, it's called a plan. There's a difference. When you can put pen to paper and write it down, now you've put some legs on that goal, and it's allowing you now to run. And now, like I said just a minute ago, God writes down what's important to him, but God invites us into the writing process. God, God invites us to be a part of this process where he is writing. You might be wondering, okay, Pastor Joshua, but how does he invite us into that process? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Your lives are a letter and other people are reading your letter. I don't know if you ever thought about that. I don't know if that's ever occurred to you, but your life is a letter. In the King James Version, if we adopt the Old English language, it says this. You are a living letter. You are a living epistle. And you are being read by your neighbors. You are being read by your coworkers. You are being read by your church. You are being read by your family. Think about that for a second. As God is writing the story of your life, he invites you into that process of writing. And I don't know about you, but I want my story to be one worth reading about. I want my story to be a story that someone would be intrigued when they read it. 
I picked up a book I like to read. And for those of you that might be following me on social media or connect with me, you know that I'll enjoy reading and I'll recommend a book to you. And oftentimes people ask me, I got this going on. What do I read? And I've got these books. I love a good book. I picked up a book. I was really late to the party. So if you're a bookworm in here, don't laugh at me because I finally read it. But I finally read the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Anybody ever read the book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight? Anyone in the tent? My God, I'm the only person. Okay, well, Shoe Dog is a memoir of the story of Phil Knight, the person who started Nike. I'm wearing Nikes, by the way, not because of uh, this message, but because of a coincidence. Uh, but, but he writes the story of Nike. And as I read his story, can I tell you it was one worth reading? I was sucked into this book. It's 400 pages. I blew it out in six days. Why? Because I was drawn in to the story. The story was intriguing. The story invited me in. The story was about how time and time Phil Knight had opposition, but time and time he overcame. Time and time he rose above. Time and time he was able to beat competitors. He was able to beat um, lawsuits. He was even able to go at war with the U.S. government over tax payments, and he whooped them too. And it was like, intriguing to read his story. But in the same way, can I tell you that God is writing your story and you have an active part in the story that God is writing in your life? Can I tell you that God is writing the story of your life and you get to help shape that story? You might be wondering, Pastor Josh, how do I shape that story? You shape that story every time you act when God tells you to act. Many times God tells us to do something and we're too afraid. Many times, God, think about this, all throughout the Old Testament, the people that were worth writing about were the people who believed God against all odds. When he came to David and said, David, get out there and fight Goliath, and David was just a 17-year-old boy, and Goliath was a beast of a man. We read about David. Why? Because when opposition came, he rose above it. He rose above it. We read the stories of Gideon, the judge, the, the, the Jewish judge who, who was out literally scrapping together leftovers on the field because their arch enemies would constantly come. And while the Jews would, would harvest and harvest and harvest a crop, then the enemy would come in and take all of their crops. And the Jews were left with leftovers. Finally, God had enough, and he rose up Gideon. And what was Gideon doing? Gideon was a scavenger hiding from the enemies. And God said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. Why do we read the story of Gideon? Because against all opposition, he believed. Against all opposition, he rose up. When the going got tough, Gideon got going. He did not allow himself to bow down to the enemy. He did not allow himself to bow down to the pressure. He did not allow himself to just take a back seat to what God was doing. But he got involved with what God was doing. He got involved with what God was doing. This is why here at Lighthouse Church, we invite you to be a part of the dream team. I got to correct you all because last week when we made the announcement, I had many people say, congratulations, Pastor Josh. We're so happy for you. I'm like, why are you happy for me? I'm happy for you. This ain't my church. This is your church. This isn't a miracle that God did in my life. It's a miracle that God did in our lives. There's a certain ownership that we invite you into, Lighthouse Church. We're not putting on a show for you to observe, but we are moving the kingdom of God forward. And you could either sit back and watch or you can get involved, be a part of it, and see what God does in the city of Vista. He invites us. That's what I love is he invites us in. He's not going to force you into this. He's not going to force you to obey his voice, but he's going to invite you to. He's going to draw you in. He's going to ask you, do you believe that I could use your life? He'll ask you questions like, what would you believe if you knew that no was never going to be the answer? 
I heard it said this way. If God answers all of your prayers, would the world change or just your world? Because sometimes the only thing we pray for is us. If God answered all of the prayers, would this world see a difference or would just you see a difference? And God invites us to make an impact on this world. God invites us on this journey, not just to make an impact on our lives. He will do that because he is faithful. But he says, will you believe with me for greater things? Will you believe with me for the impossible? Will you believe with me that a little church that is only two years old can not only shape a city, but shape an entire region of the North County of San Diego? Will you believe? Do you believe? He invites us in to this process. And in the same way, I see God writing the story of Lighthouse Church. I said in the exact same way, I see God writing the story of Lighthouse Church. He writes what is important. He invites you into the process. But can I tell you that not only is he writing in the story of your individual lives, but there is a story being written about Lighthouse Church North County. I don't know if you know that, but he's writing our story. And I think back about the last journey and what we've had to overcome and the things that we've had to endure. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I've said many, many times before, a church that is two years old, that is walking through what we are walking through, can I just tell you that you are blessed? Can I just tell you that the favor of God is over your life? Can I tell you that the favor of God is over this house? Every church gets a building in two years. No, they don't. This stuff takes time. Some of y'all were married for a long time before you bought a house, and this is on a much bigger level. And we're seeing God do the impossible. But can I tell you how this thing worked out? I'll never forget in February of last year, we had a very tough phone call with the school. In February of 2020, we got a phone call from the school, and they let us know that at the end of our contract, what was, which was in June, they were not going to renew our contract, meaning they were telling us, Lighthouse Church, y'all going to have to find a new home. You can't continue to use the theater. And some of you remember being a part of our journey when we were at San Marcos High School meeting in a theater, and it was very tense. There was a lot of, they, 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 we, were, we were guests in an unwanted home. How many know it feels bad to be in a house when you're not really wanted? And yet we were having to walk through that, and it felt like every Sunday we were walking on eggshells, and then finally they said, you're not welcome back anymore. You're not welcome back anymore. I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget that night that, that when, um, when let, me say, let me just say it this way. I wasn't even man enough to have that conversation with my wife when it first happened because I was like, what are we going to do? And I remember the next day telling my wife, I'm like, oh, we got a little problem. We can't come back to the school. When they, and I remember my wife breaking down and crying because we had poured so much effort and heart and investment. Everything that we did was designed to be done at that campus. Everything that we did was designed to be done at that school. So when they said, you can't come back, it broke our hearts. And, and immediately we knew we were going to have to make a change. Now, we didn't know that COVID was coming around the corner and shut down all churches anyway. So in a way, that all got swallowed up by all of that. But you need to know that what you didn't know and what the leaders of this church knew was that coming back from COVID, we didn't have a home to come back to. The school was not an option. We had lost our home. And I've got a lot of faith, but I don't like being homeless. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you like that type of lifestyle. I don't, okay? I was never that kid in college that couch surfed. That wasn't me, all right? I like stability. I liked being home. I liked having a place. But we had no church. We had no school to call our own. So we began looking. And I remember looking at one building, looking at a second building, looking at a third building. When we saw the third building, we thought, this is it. This is perfect. And we entered into negotiations. And the negotiations were just moving along. Everything was going just swimmingly. Now, 
Salah and I, and if you don't know who Salah is, this gentleman sitting right here, he's CFO of the Lighthouse Church, and he's a very sharp business mind, and I don't enter into any sort of agreement without consulting with Salah. So together, we're out there trying to find a home for Lighthouse Church, and, and things are moving really good on this property. We got to the point that we signed the contract. We mailed the check. We were so excited. I'll tell you how excited we were. We picked out chairs. We picked out carpet. We picked out paint. We were ready to go. Lighthouse, we were so excited for our home. And then when we mailed in the deposit, and when we mailed in the contract, one day goes by, this guy's not signing the contract. Second day goes by, I'm like, boy, you better put it in writing. You better put your signature on that line. Finally, I called my broker, and I'm like, he's not signing. Uh, let's get him on the phone. All of a sudden, the, the owner of the property says, let's have a conversation without the broker's present. And you know it was just downhill from there. I'm going to spare you all of the details. But it was, uh, Pastor Josh was so frustrated with it. And again, I used to negotiate for a living, and that wasn't in the church. So it can go a certain direction. But now I'm a pastor, and I can't negotiate the way that I'm used to negotiating. I had to tell Salah, Salah, you're going to take the lead. Because if I start negotiating, I am so frustrated. I might say things I'm not allowed to say. So Salah, you're going to have to step in. And he did a phenomenal job. But all that to say is God shut that door. And once again, we're homeless. Once again, I'm like, what are we going to do? For two weeks, I was mourning the loss of that building. Because again, we picked out carpet. We picked out chairs. We were pumped. And I started moaning for the next two weeks. But God was writing our story. God was writing our story. And so I started praying bold prayers. How many of you ever prayed a bold prayer? So I went to God. I said, God, this is your church, not my church. You have a problem, not me. I don't have a problem. It's his church. You call me to build your church, I'm going to build your church. But this is your church. You said in the Bible, this is your bride. Listen, your girl ain't got no home, all right? So you can't do that to your girl. Like, you got to do something. And then after two weeks of mourning, Brother Junior Ramos says, Pastor Josh, yeah, and I'm coming to a close. Let me get some keys. That's going to make this feel really good, all right? Junior Ramos says, Pastor Josh, I know you like San Marcos, but there's this church in Vista. And we might be able to lease from them on a Sunday. And I'm thinking, we need a home. I don't really want to go to Vista. I like San Marcos. You know, I've already bored my heart to you all, okay? I was like, I don't want to move. I like San Marcos. God called us to San Marcos. But we came to see the building anyway. So it's just my wife and I. And we're walking around this building right here. And we're looking around. And we start thinking, you know, we've got some potential here. This, this, this might work. But it's going to need a few improvements because Lighthouse Church, y'all like the good stuff. You like your coffee good. You like your kids' programs good. You like your worship good. You like the screens and all. So it's like, hey, we're going to have to make some improvements. So I, I said, there was two gentlemen that met us here, and I asked the question. I said, if we were to come in and start leasing from you, would you help us with some improvements? They call that tenant improvements. Would you help us with some improvements? And one guy blurted out, I don't think he even consulted with Doug. He just said, well, do you want to just buy the building? And I'm thinking, well, you're selling the building? I, I see a for sale sign. Well, we could sell the building. And then I asked, well, how much do you want to sell it for? He said, well, it, it appraised a few years ago for $1.6 million. And I'm like, I can't afford one. We're a, a one-year-old church. You know what I'm saying? We got about $100,000 in the bank, you know? And if I'm going to put 25% down, which is common in commercial properties, we're only good for about $400,000. I mean, that's it, you know? We're like, we're babies in this church. And it's like, well, hey, we can't afford $1.6 And so I told them that I said, I can't buy your church for, for that price. And then they said, well, make an offer. So they were asking me to step into negotiations. I'm like, you, you sure about that? You know? <laughs> 
I look at my wife. I said, we got to get Salah here. And so I said, we'll be back. I get Salah. Kids, you know, that's how I went down. Called Salah. We had just hired a broker the day before. I'm, it was like the easiest deal for him. It was like, we hired him the day before, the very next day. Hey, Ella, we found a building. Could you come with us? I said, well, what do you need me for? No, you're not getting away. We need your help. Because we had to let go of our other broker after how that deal went down. So we, me, Salah, and the new broker, we come in. We're walking around the building, taking a look at everything. We're, sti- we're, we're up on that edge right there, looking over at all of Vista. I mean, we're, we're, we're overlooking downtown Vista, and we're seeing all this build-out that's happening. And the broker looks at me, and he says, Josh, if you don't buy this church, I'm going to buy this church. He said that. If you don't buy this church, I'll buy this church, and I'll find a church to rent from it. I, I just like, this is a good opportunity. So I sat down with them one more time, and it was clear to me that they were just going to allow us to just have a conversation about the purchase of this church. So we circled the wagons. Salah and I said, well, what do we offer? They're saying to make an offer. So... Now, don't think I'm crazy when I give you this number. There's logic behind it. So Pastor Josh calls up Doug. I said, Doug, we make an offer, $400,000 to buy the building. Yeah, he laughed like some of you just laughed. Like, are you kidding me? And so he wanted me to back into that number. What do you mean by that? I said, well, I got $100,000 in the bank. So that means I'm good for 25% down. Multiply that out, $400,000. That's what a bank will approve me for. And Doug was like, ah, this ain't going to work. But he said, let me get back to you. He goes and he talks to the elders of the church, the other the other parties that were involved. And then he comes back, okay? And guys, this is a beautiful story. This is how it should work when two churches that are kingdom-minded collaborate together. He said this. He said, Josh, what if you buy the church for $900,000? Again, appraised in 2018 for $1.6 million. I don't know if you've looked at what property values have done since 2018. Uh, yeah, they've gone up. And so I know that 1.6 is a soft appraisal. It's probably worth more than that in 2021. And I'm thinking $900,000. Like, but I told him, I can't get a loan for $900,000. I've only got $100,000 in the bank. We're one-year-old church. I mean, even just having that much money in the bank is pretty good for a one-year-old church. I mean, brand new church. No building to call our own. Y'all did good, Lighthouse. Y'all incredible. So I'm thinking, how are we going to do this? I come back to Salon. We got real creative. We said, well, if we can find a lender that will loan us as much as they can. Then we'll come back to Doug, and they even said, we'll help you carry what you can't finance. So we said, okay, we're going to need them to carry $400,000. Salah did a great job. He found someone that believed in us, not for four hundred, dollars but for $500,000. Come on, let's get over Salah. He found someone willing to take a chance on, not me, you, you all. So, well, you. so I come back to Doug. And again, when I say this now, it's going to sound crazy. Don't judge your pastor, okay? I said, Doug, we're good for 750. And he's like, Josh, we're not going to negotiate. 900 is our number. But I explained to him. I had to back into the number. I said, well, here's the deal. That first loan, $500,000, comes with a 5% interest rate. You amortize that out. By the time we get to paying that note off, guess how much we're paying? Your number, $900,000. Doug said, I didn't think about the interest rate. You see, I, I think about all of that stuff, you know. Remember I talked about total cost of ownership earlier in the year? Total cost of ownership, TCO. I was like, well, I got to extrapolate these numbers. So I come back to Doug and I said, Doug, this is, what we, this is what's going on. And he said, okay, I didn't think about the interest rate. I didn't, really, I didn't really factor that into my decision, but you got a point. So Doug goes back to the elders of the church, and then Doug calls me back. Now, guys, I want you to listen to the miracle. I want you to listen to the goodness of God and what I'm about to tell you, because this is not normal. Many churches don't look for the opportunity to sow into the next generation and to sow into the next congregation. But this is the heart of their church. They came back and they said, 
$900,000 is our sales price. And we're going to finance the entire deal for you so you don't have to worry about going out and get another lender. And then he goes on to say, and here's the deal. We know you're going to need money to do your renovations and your remodeling, so we don't want a nickel, no down payment on your loan. And then this last thing blew my mind. I think I fell out speaking in other tongues when he said this. And then he said this. He said, and we also don't believe that interest is biblical, so we're going to give you the loan at 0% interest rate. I was like, amen, it ain't biblical, Doug. Yes, the interest is the devil. <laughs> so Lighthouse Church, I told you guys last week when we made the announcement, we're buying this church at $900,000, seller carried finance, $0 down payment, and a 0% interest rate. That is the miracle that God did for Lighthouse Church, North County. Come on, I think you'd be a little more excited if that was your home that you bought and the bank gave you a 0% interest rate, you'd be running, you'd be shouting, you'd be jumping because it's unheard of. It's a miracle when someone would do that for the church. But that's what God did for us because he's writing our story. And I wondered, God, why would you do that for us? Do you guys remember in the month of December in 2019 when I said, we're going to pick up an offering and we're going to give it all away? Y'all looked at me like, what? And we planted a church. We helped launch We helped launch Rhythm Church in Oceanside. We gave away 25% of that offering to Forerunner Mansion. We blessed the Alabaster Jar Project. We were just giving money away because we believed in sowing into the kingdom. And I wholeheartedly believe that because God saw your hearts, because God saw that you weren't in it just for the church, but you were in it for the kingdom, he sent a kingdom-sized blessing our way, Lighthouse Church. That's the story that God is writing. That's the story that God is writing. And I dealt with some PTSD, admittedly, after that first deal fell through. Some of you guys were like asking me, when are we going to get to work, Pastor Josh? I'm like, it's not ours. We haven't closed escrow yet. And it was a very long escrow, and it had to do with cleaning up title. But we went through the journey and made sure the title was clean, and we did not close sooner than when the title was clean. We showed you all the video of when Joanna and I and some of our elders at the church signed the agreement. And, and, and listen, this is how much PTSD I had. I wouldn't take down the name of their church up front. A lot of people were like, how come you haven't put a banner? I'm like, because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> I know, I'm like... Just kidding. Yeah, so I, I didn't want to jinx it. I, I was traumatized from the last deal. I was like, no, I ain't putting up a banner, fam. I'm not going to do that. It's going good. You know, it's like, don't breathe. Don't get to mess it up. You know what I mean? It's like one of those. Rally cap, everybody. But, you know, but today, after church, we're actually going to take that sign down. Sam's going to help me with that. You guys can stick around for that if you want to. We're going to go ahead and do that. I need some help. Salah, you come help me. Joanna, you come help me too. Both of you come on up. I, and I, I wanted you both to help me out. Come on up here. And would you guys open that up, one on each side? Gonna, what's that? So go ahead and open that up, and I want you guys to show the banner. There's two of the exact same banner, but there we go. This is what's going to go up right after our service, Lighthouse.
So we're finally going to get something up because we finally closed escrow and we're not jinxing anything. So this is going to go up. Yeah. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and lay it down, but, but, but on its front, basically back exposed. Yeah. And then I want you to bring another one over here. Here's what we're going to do, though, Lighthouse Church. And I want to say publicly that, that Doug is here, but we're going to honor Doug, and we're going to honor his wife in the weeks to come. She's not here. And I'm going to introduce you to Doug, and I'm going to introduce you to Jerry, because this is uncommon. And, and, and it's not common for people to have a church for the next generation. But if you want to, Doug's right there. If you guys want to know who Doug is, and I think he deserves a round of applause, that's Doug. We love you, Doug. And we didn't quite time it the best, but we've got a gift for Doug, and we got a gift for your wife. But we're going to do that when his wife's here. She's on vacation right now, and, and we want to really honor them. But here's what we're going to do today. Um, can you, Joanna, bring those Sharpies on each side? I really believe this with all my heart. And I felt like I had to fight like hell this week to get this message out. So much going on, even this morning, all kinds of stuff just not going right. But I, I know that happens when you take ground. Everybody say, we're taking territory. Come on, tell them we're taking territory. We're not just buying a building, we're taking territory. We're expanding the kingdom. When a church enters into a building, I want you to get this, okay? When a church enters into a building project, you will start to see families need to fight like hell. I'll never forget when, it's not my first road, y'all. We, we had to move Lighthouse Church when we left our organization back in 2017. And we had to move from one side of the city to the other side of the city. We were opening up new offices. We were, we were and, and, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my son Jude was sick. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I really felt like the enemy tried to kill my son Jude. I remember putting him in the bed one night and his heart was racing and he had a, couldn't breathe this was, this was in 2017, and, and my wife and I were a little conflicted. I was like, I'm taking this kid to the ER. Something's wrong with him. She's like, he's fine. Let him just sleep it off. But, but I would put my hand on his heart, and his heart was racing, and I told her, this isn't sustainable. If his heart keeps beating like this, something's going to go bad overnight. He was sleeping, but he wasn't resting. So I scooped up my son, Jude. I took him into the hospital. When I took him into the hospital, he was crying because he was, like, he was, he was asleep. He didn't want to go. Long story short, they told me that had I waited any longer to take my son in, she said it would have been very, very bad for my son. Let's just put it that way. Because the minute I got him in there, it was like they moved him as quick as they could to triage. They put him on oxygen. Nothing was working. And, and what, what I just thought, well, he just needs some air. He just can't breathe. We stayed there for three days in Children's Hospital as they were fighting to get oxygen moving through the lungs of my son. And I remember that being one of the hardest times in my life. And I couldn't understand it. And finally, my cousin, he spoke to me. And I couldn't see it. You know, sometimes you can't see the forest because of the trees. And I couldn't see what was happening. And he said, the, the enemy's coming after your home, Josh, because you've taken territory. And right then and there, I began to fight. I, I didn't know what it was. But, but the doctor said that my son had asthma. He never had asthma. He said, your son has asthma. I'm like, since when? He's energetic. This boy bounces off the walls at home. But out of nowhere, he had asthma that tried to take his life. I say all that Lighthouse Church, because if you're not careful, if you're not prepared in the building process, the enemy will come after your homes. And so I've been through this. So and me and my house, we're ready. All the men and the women who lead their home, pray over your children. Pray over your house, because it's about to get real. It's about to get real. Pastor Josh, you're trying to scare us. No, 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 it's not that, but you'll see. And we're going to get there in the book of Nehemiah. But when they were rebuilding Jerusalem, the builders had to build with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. 
because the enemy was coming after them. So they had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. When I was building in 2017, I didn't have a weapon. All I had was a tool. And I learned from that point forward, you build with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other because you never know when the enemy is going to attack. But here's what I'm believing for. We're going to flip this thing on its head. I believe that during the build out of this church, God is going to do supernatural, miraculous things for the church of Lighthouse. I really believe that. I am believing for God to do miracles. I am believing for signs. I am believing for wonders. I don't know about you, but I want to see someone's body healed while we are building his temple. I don't know about you, but I want to see a marriage restored while we're building his church. I want to see sons and daughters come back home. I want to see the doctor's note being defied because the great physician stepped in and did what medicine couldn't do. So here's what we're going to do. I don't want it just for you, but I want it for all of you, Lighthouse. This is how we're going to close this altar call. But if you need a miracle in your life, you're going to get a pen, every family, and you're going to write down on the back of this banner what you're believing God for. Because there's power in the pen. I said there's power in the pen. When God wrote down what was important to him, you should also write it down because what you're saying, God, what's important to you is important to me. If it matters to you, it matters to me. And that's the way that we're going to end our time together. We're going to pray. When I dismiss you all, I want you to get pen and write on the back of these banners because what we're going to do is in a minute we're going to take down that sign and we're going to put these lighthouse banners up. San's going to help me with that. And behind these banners are going to be your, are going to be your prayer requests. It's going to be your declarations. And when the building is done, when construction is done, and listen, church, it's going to take a few months for all this to happen, okay? we got to get it designed. We've got to get it approved. we got to get our permits, and then we go, all right? You can help us pray by making this move fast. Vision has a pace, okay? So we're going to believe for this to move fast. But when we're done, we're going to pull these banners down, and we're going to read these prayer requests because they're not going to be prayer requests anymore. They're going to be praise reports about how God answered your prayer in the middle of building, how God heard your prayer, and how God did a miraculous thing in your life because you wrote it down. So I want you to stand on your feet with me. I can't wait to talk about this for the next month. We have a full month, and we're going to dig into shovel and spear. But some of you are in need of a miracle. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're able to, would you lift your hands? What is it that you need of God? Just begin to start praying. Some of you don't know what to put down. Ask God right now what you should write down. If you're like, I don't know what to write down, start to ask God. He's going to give it to you. Everyone ask. If you're like, I don't know, just ask him. He's going to reveal it to you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you reveal to your church what it is that you want them to write down. Reveal to them, Lord God, what it is that you're believing. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.